Hello and welcome to Broccoli News, Radio Broccoli's regular updates on what's happening in and around the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stanmore. I'm Alan Joyce and today we continue to listen back to highlights of the last 10 years of Broccoli News. Today we focus on our coverage of the hospital's research and development projects. We'll head back to 2014 and an interview with Eva Halpmanova. We'll listen back to highlights from the 2015 R&D Day, including a mechanical walking aid. And we'll listen back to highlights of the RNOH Open Day from 2018. Plus, we'll have music from Lucy Rowe. This is Radio Broccoli, London's longest-running hospital radio station and officially the UK's hospital radio station of the year for 2020. So it was 10 years ago that we launched Broccoli News here on Radio Broccoli. Over the last few weeks, we've been listening back to some of the highlights of the shows we've covered during that time. Now, this week, we're concentrating on some of the amazing research and development projects which have been taking place in the hospital. So let's first head back to 2014, when Ron Laver met up with the then head of R&D, Eva Halpmanova. Eva's going to talk to us today a little about the uh, R&D, and that's uh, research and development, and uh, what's involved and why it's important to the hospital. Just tell me, in, in I guess in layman's term, if you like, what uh, what is R&D, and why is it so important, particularly here at Stanmore at the RNOH? Okay, so R&D, or research and development, is um, something that really has always been happening in the NHS, it's just wasn't so well known or people were not necessarily aware of it and as we all know without research we wouldn't be able to have new treatments and improving the treatments we have today and gradually over the past sort of 20 years it has been recognized by the not only by the government but by the NHS that it is important to be involved with the patients and involve patients in research not just as participants but also maybe harnessing some of the ideas people with certain conditions may have. And generally, R&D started to be more and more integrated into the work of individual hospitals. Some have achieved it more successfully than others. But certainly, R&D is something that everybody now considers is important work of what each hospital does in terms of providing opportunities to cutting-edge treatments for our current patients, but also developing treatments for our future patients. Mm. It, it strikes me that uh, the R&D department here is is actually quite forward-looking, and uh, if that's the right word, it's an important part of the hospital, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's part of what we make our name on, if you like, here at uh, Stanmore. Yes, um, we, we would like to think we are quite forward-thinking, definitely. It's certainly something that the hospital recognises as an important factor of a specialist, specialist centre where we should be, and in many ways we are, at the forefront of leading the treatments that are being offered for the conditions that we treat, treat really here at Stamor. Mm-hmm. And so what is the makeup of the department? What sort of people have you got within your department? So we've got a mixture of people because it's obviously one of uh, one of the things that we do is actually planning and developing the ideas that local clinicians have or working with our university partners and sometimes with commercial companies. So one part of the department would be very much involved in the what we call the setup phase of the work. 
And then the other half of the department is really much involved in recruiting of the patients, dealing with patients on a day-to-day basis in the individual research projects. Okay. Can you give me some examples of the sort of research work that you're currently doing that's that's going on at the moment? I I had a quick look at the website and I see over 60 ongoing research projects, uh, recruitment in excess of 1,000 patients a year. Um, So what are the sort of things you're, you're looking into presently? So we have, obviously our research is divided into different, different areas. So some of the things that we could possibly be considered as a world-leading centre is certainly the work being conducted here by Professor Adrian Flanagan, who is one of our histopathologists, who works closely with the bone tumour unit, and certainly developing techniques for improving the identification of bone cancer is something that's uh, that's quite important to our patients and also ourselves. And also one additional project which is quite big is an international project that we're doing is the London Implant Retrieval Centre. I'm sure people would have heard on the news about various issues with hip replacements. Mm, yeah. And certainly the London Implant Retrieval Centre has uh, several projects within it which is looking as to how we could improve the treatments and the surveillance we do for our patients who undergo various hip replacement, knee replacement, ankle replacement or shoulder replacements. Mm. So does that does that mean physically looking at the the old hip, the old knee, whatever that's been taken out and and looking at it and 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 sort of saying, well, we can see where the wear and tear is. Is it as simple as that or is it talking to the patients and saying well you know how has it been for you when did it first start to get bad again you know is it is all that part of it yes it's 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 pretty much a bit of all of that so some of it would be actually collecting the implants that have failed for various reasons and trying to look at reasons as to why they have failed and conducting lots of different tests to look at what can be done and then obviously reporting to specific manufacturers as well to say there is issue with your implant and this is what we think this is what we think it is but part of that is also obviously doing surveillance in terms of how patients are with their specific implant Mm. and making sure that we carry on looking after the patients even after they left the left the hospital i can understand how patients are involved in the research you're also you involve patients and members of the public people without necessarily any uh, problems at all how do you involve how do they get involved and why are they involved in in the projects so quite often especially at the planning stage because obviously it's quite uh, easy for some of our clinicians and scientists to forget what the uh, simple terms of life are so uh, we would be involving patients or public in some of the groups that we set up when we do your project planning really just to help us think of things from their perspective not just uh, boggle everyone's mind with the wonderful science that Mm. we're doing but actually making sure that the people that we're trying to recruit understand what we're trying to do and also to consider whether from their perspective is actually an important thing to do because not everybody not everybody who is a scientist always comes up with uh, something that's useful for the patients so it's very important for patients and public to be involved and provide us with that sort of feedback Mm. and quite often they're the ones that turn around and say why hasn't anybody looked at 
it from this angle because that's where the big problem is and would it be fair to say that if I was a patient here I could come to you and say um, have you thought of looking at it from this point of view? Oh yes we would we would certainly welcome if people had ideas because as you say often it is the users who know what the actual problems are is not the people providing equipment is not the people mm. providing the treatment is often the people suffering from the conditions who are able to tell us what their needs are so having ideas from patients and public is is very important and we would certainly welcome those mm. That was Eva Helpmanova speaking to us there back in 2014. Now, a year later, we were invited to attend the hospital's Research and Development Day with a chance to see some of the new technology in action. So let's rejoin Ron Laver alongside Sue Weston. I'm with Lindsay Duffel. We spoke a few weeks ago at the main R&D event, didn't we? We did, yes. And uh, you told me about uh, a project you were working on, which is the iCycle. And I have a strong feeling this could be it in front of us. This is the iCycle in front of us, yes. How does this work then? So uh, this is an ergometer. Uh, So it allows a patient to wheel up in their wheelchair and attach their feet to the pedals. Um, And we can turn a motor on, which will, will, will be turned their legs. We then give them electrical stimulation to the relevant muscles for cycling uh, during every other cycle and the cycles in between they receive no stimulation. So what that means is, is we can actually measure how much force is being produced by the stimulation and voluntarily by the patient. And then we have this nice virtual reality game here um, and the cyclist on here is only going to get faster if the patient is voluntarily contributing themselves. Okay, and what, what we're looking at here is, is basically a standard cycling game that you would find running on a, a Nintendo or, or something similar. Exactly. Uh, so uh, the advantage of this is that the patient can come for their sessions every day and they can load up their previous trial and they can race against themselves from a previous trial or they can race against their friend. Um, and so it gives them some motivation to really contribute themselves to the cycling. So lots of people do FES cycling already, uh, but, but they find it a little bit boring because the stimulation is moving their legs and they don't really feel there's any motivation for them to contribute to it and we feel if we want to strengthen this pathway from the brain to the muscles we really need them to to contribute themselves so we need to give them some motivation so this is why we have the game and the game uh, working based on their voluntary effort rather than based on on what the stimulation is doing so this is really aimed at uh, patients that have got some sensation still in their legs but perhaps not full sensation and and this is tapping into that and encouraging them I guess exactly so we feel that the FES is is strengthening the pathway between the muscles and the spinal cord but not from the brain to the spinal cord so in somebody that has this small amount or some remaining function we want to strengthen the entire pathway so it's like this is switching on the brain really and saying yeah you've got a connection down there exactly exactly Mm. and we're activating the lower part of that connection we need you to activate the upper 
part and hopefully uh, that whole pathway gets strengthened. And are you getting results with this that suggest this is with the game included this is a, a better way of doing it? We've had good feedback so far from the people that have tried it. We're just getting feedback at the moment on the setup, how user friendly it is um, and how much the patient enjoys using it, finds it easy to use um, and then we'll start to run a proper trial where we can see whether we're really getting the effects that we're looking for in terms of strengthening that pathway. We can put some uh, electrodes on and do some electrical stimulation if you want. So Ron is now rolling up his sleeves, ready to have his um, the stimulation put on his biceps. There they are, bulging. There's no need to be rude. <laughs> I'm not being rude. There's definitely some biceps there. Are attached now, so we're going to gradually turn the stimulation up. I want you to tell me when you can feel something. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to turn it up a bit. Tell me when you can feel it. I'm a bit worried about this now. There's so much muscle; it's having trouble getting through. Oh, there it goes. Yes, I can feel that now. Yeah. Okay. Can I go up a bit higher? Yeah. Just tell me if you're too much. Yeah, oh, about that, yeah. Oh, ah. yeah, that's. <laughs> so you can see yeah. that we were starting to get some elbow flexion there yeah, as we were yeah. turning the stimulation um, Right, so okay. That's and that's the fact there. that my arm started coming up as if I'm yes. showing so off my biceps, yeah. yeah. The action of the biceps is to, to yeah. flex at the elbow yeah. to yeah. bend yeah. the arm. So as I activate them with the electrical stimulation, uh, your, your arm's going to start to okay. bend. So that, and, and if I was a patient in a wheelchair, they would be on my legs and stimulating the muscles. In my legs. Exactly. So this this particular channel is for quadriceps. So the quadriceps is on the front of the thigh, and it causes your knee to extend. So during cycling, and that point of the cycle that you really need to push forwards, uh, the quadriceps stimulation will come on and cause that action at your knee that we just saw there at your elbow. So I'll stimulate the muscle at the back of your thigh, your hamstring, so that the knee bends. So you, you should be able to cycle just with the stimulation. So that works for people that have complete injuries. Right. Uh, but also, there's no reason that you can't also contribute to it voluntarily. Yeah. So the idea is that in incompletes, the FBS is is assisting them, but they need to do the to do the work themselves. That's why the cyclist only goes faster when they do the work right. themselves. Yeah. That's great. That's really interesting. Well, thanks. I've been really wanting to see this ever since we talked about it the other week. So thanks very much for that. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
That was the brilliant Lucy Rowe in a track called It Could Be, which was performed especially for Radio Broccoli as part of our Alpha Sessions online series. You can watch the full session on our YouTube channel by searching for Alpha Sessions. You're listening to Broccoli News celebrating its 10th anniversary, and this is the latest in a series of special programmes listening back to highlights of the last 10 years. Next, we rejoin the 2015 RNOH Research and Development Day, and this time Ron Laver is checking out a mechanical walking aid. I've got Dr. Tom Carlson with me now. This is a Rex Bionics uh, Rex exoskeleton, and it's uh, originally developed as a, an assistive technology to help a paraplegic stand up by themselves. Um, it's a uh, very expensive at the moment, but uh, Rex are working on streamlining their manufacturing process to bring the cost down. And uh, they're also looking into how it can be used in a rehabilitation uh, sense as well. So for helping people to perform uh, exercises, stretches and things while standing up um, in a kind of controlled manner. We're doing some research with with them, uh, looking at how to control these devices and uh, how to make them more usable. So these are exercise machines rather than walking aids yes i think the initial concept was to be a walking aid um it's quite noisy it's quite slow it's okay for indoor use if you're wanting to move around the kitchen or something like that but i think that uh it could have a real use inside a a rehabilitation center for performing controlled uh, rehabilitative exercises Um, and especially then if you can use it with multiple users it uh, will help towards the the financial side of things is there a future of a of a walking aid to be made for a specific person yeah, definitely. It's, it's a question of how long is it going to take. So there's a, a huge uh, research project going on at University College London uh, called WAM, 
or wearable assisted materials. And there they're, they're working with uh, the latest uh, material inventions to create things like uh, more like chainmail type suits, um, which are, are able to, to support your body weight and this kind of thing. But this is very much in the research stage. Um, and it comes with its challenges as well. So once you've got the material right and, and the mechanical structure, you have to ask how we're going to control this. And, and control is a really big problem as well. Um, but hopefully we can come in and, and help them out with, with that. So. so as you can see, if I strapped you in there, yep. I'd be completely supporting your weight. I'm not going to do that now because it has to be completely adjusted to your body. Okay? Right. But just to get an idea of how it works... It's because it's completely supporting your body, okay? It's not going to feel like a natural gait, okay? So if you press the joystick forwards in a moment, it's going to shift all your body weight onto your left foot. Yeah. Then it'll move your right foot forwards, pop it down on the floor, and then you shift your weight across onto your right foot, okay? Okay. So let's try one step. So, so push forward. forward. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's fine. Okay. okay. So just like that. Okay, John. Now, if you keep the joystick pressed forward, yep. it will do the same thing, but this time instead of bringing that foot here, it will just continue swinging forwards. Yeah. <laughs> Make way, coming through. What's it feel like? Um, it feels really um, feels sturdy, feels safe. It's uh, I don't, I don't, I don't feel um, I, yeah, I'm quite relaxed. I don't feel out of control or anything. It feels really easy going. So it's like watching the bottom half of a robot who's just standing in uh, mechanical legs and really a back brace. And uh, it is allowing him to walk. If you want to shuffle the right, it will shift your weight onto the left foot yep. to balance. Then it will extend your right leg ah. and then go down and then... That's going to feel a bit strange. Yeah. Like a dance move, right? So it's going to move to the left first. Yep, right on the left. Into a little pivot. Alright, shuffling to the right. Cue the music. He's actually moving sideways now to the right and it is like a very slow motion dance. Now watch out, he's coming back now. My name is Alex Batts, I'm from the research department. And Alex, you've just been trying out this um, sort of mechanical walking machine, haven't you? How did you find it? I found it uh, very comfortable, actually. No problems at all. There was no point I was scared or falling over. It looks kind of like the thing from The Wrong Trousers and Wallace and Gromit, only it's black rather than green. It's, but it's, 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 a, it's a lovely machine. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's great. It's a really good, good uh, invention. There are apparently uh, more modern versions of this, but this one already is kind of ahead of its time, I think. First step you took, which was to the right, the machine put all your weight on your left foot and you leant very heavily to your left side. We both stepped back because we thought you were coming our way. It's kind of like in, um, in dancing, you do need to have the yeah. weight on the other leg before you make a step with, with that. He explains it all very clearly. He said it's gonna, you have the weight there first before you take your step right. Yeah. So I was just got ready for it.
We'll listen back to 10 years of Broccoli News, giving updates on what's happening in and around the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stanmore. We've been concentrating on R&D this week, and finally we head back to 2018 and the RNOH Open Day for that year. Another groundbreaking piece of research and development with Ron Laver. I'm with Professor Mia Dofnik, who's uh, Professor of Materials yes. at the uh, UCL. In a few words, can you explain what a Professor of Materials does? I can tell you what I do, which is I run something called the Institute of Making. And what we, what we do is we, we, we create research projects which are like things like helping people walk or uh, creating new ways of eating or designing new methods of transport. And we then assemble multidisciplinary teams to, to carry out that research in our lab. So this isn't just engineers, it's not just physicists and chemists, but it's also artists and designers and, and, and novelists and philosophers. Because we really believe that you, to actually solve human problems, you need to understand humans. It's not just a technical solution. So it's, it's about understanding humans, getting the patients involved... And then, and then creating that project together. And you gave a very interesting uh, talk earlier on here, uh, the open day. From that, I, I glean that we're, we're getting closer to materials, physical materials and human materials, if you like, coming together. Yeah, I think the future is going to be the difference you'll see between a living tree and, a, and, a, and what you might call now an inanimate bridge or car or road, that, that difference is going to blur in, the, in this next century. And there'll be good, there are good reasons for it. One, we, we can do it. And two, that things that repair themselves, like living things, tend to last longer. And, and it's, to, it's totally doable. Um, because actually, um, the difference between an inanimate road and an animate tree or plant isn't that massive, you know? On the medical front, I came here a couple of years ago to one of these open days and saw a mechanical exoskeleton that was very bulky. And in your talk again, you suggested that we're getting very close to making these out of basically yeah. material. Yeah, so close is probably a difficult word because it's, you know, it's still 10 years away, but, and that's a long time for someone who needs the technology now. Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to over, no. overhype it, but it, direction of travel yeah. is, is in the same way that phones... And, you know, remember on an old computer yeah. and see how small they are yeah. now. Yeah. That is the direction of travel for these yeah. exoskeletons. And it's going to happen, and it, it's all about how much investment goes in to accelerate it. Um, and, and so that means big market. If you think about how, how incredible the smartphone technology has happened, it's because there's billions of people, so the companies involved could raise billions of pounds to get to that market. With, with, with the disabled communities needing exoskeletons, they're a smaller community, albeit quite large, actually. But if you add into them older people, people who, are, who become, who, who want to be living independently to the age of 80, 90, 100, and what, the only thing stopping them is their ability to kind of have strength in their legs or their arms. You can see a whole slew of technologies that, that, that will come in, and that's, that, is, that is two or three billion people. And so yeah. I see that companies are going to... Are they going to see that market opportunity? I hope I've got a few more years left in me yet, but already I'm suffering with the aches and pains and the bad knees that I, I can't walk as far as I do. But didn't. if we could make an exoskeleton you could put on that was, made you look completely normal, so it was underneath your clothes, but meant that you could still walk to the shops with confidence up to the age of 80, 90, 100... 
that would just be a huge step forward for lots of people mm. and they would also help them psychologically because they wouldn't feel isolated and uh, maybe bedridden or you know in their houses and therefore you know lonely uh, so I, I honestly think this is a key technology that will happen and the other thing we've heard from, from these people is that they don't want to look like a robot okay? they want to look normal so it's got to be underneath their clothes and, look, and be quite thin and basically fit, fit them really nicely and, not, and be comfortable but then ha- basically then it just helps their legs move helps their arms move so that they can just behave normally mm. wearable assistive technology so be like wearing a, a underwear but it's got a kind of motors inside it uh, they won't look like motors um, and it will be like a fabric mm. and it will breathe I, I guess for want of a bird bird in terms of where you want the strength it will give you where you want movement that's the idea fantastic yeah. well I, I, I wish you all the best and it's good to see you working with uh, Rui and the team here as well yeah. no, at the, the RNOH yeah. thank, thank you, you very much for your time nice talking, talking to, you. to us Fascinating stuff. It's been really, really interesting catching up on all these exciting and groundbreaking projects over the last 10 years. Now, don't forget, we have a number of programmes available on our podcast channel. Just search for Radio Broccoli at all the main podcast sites and you'll find our recent news updates along with specially recorded programmes on mental health. We also have programmes recorded by two of the other hospital charities, Disability Foundation and the Skeletal Cancer Trust. Broccoli News can be heard on Radio Broccoli Mondays to Fridays at 6pm and on Sundays at 7pm. So join us again for more memories next time. But from me, Alan Joyce, goodbye.